Hello everyone. Today's roundtable is how to deliver more next year with less. I'm Jonathan Farrington, I'm CEO of JF Initiatives, which of course is the parent company of Top Sales World, Top Sales Magazine, the Global Sales Directory and the Sales Futurists. I'm also the Director of Research for the Sandler Research Centre. Now, today's discussion topic is, as I suggested, how to deliver more next year with less. And if you didn't see the pre-recording publicity and promotion, let me share with you. Year on year, sales leaders are being asked to achieve improved results with fewer resources or at least more from the same. To most, the attainment of a permanent increase in sales revenues must seem like the search for eternal use, unending and ultimately unavailing. Unfortunately, the task of selling never becomes any easier, and as competition continues to intensify, salespeople will face issues that can be extremely difficult to deal with. For example, decreasing product uniqueness, increased competition within safe markets, longer sales cycles, and shorter product lifespans. The reality is that whatever got you where you are today will not be sufficient to keep you there. A rapidly changing environment is the regular background against which organizations must develop. Change is continuous and will become so more, become more so even, as we move forward over time. Sales management must be capable of reacting to those changes, be prepared to take advantage of them, and yet stay within the overall framework of a formalized strategy. Getting more for less or more from the same level of resources is our simple definition of efficiency. And during today's roundtable, the panel are going to share their combined wisdom and offer advice to assist you in surging into 2020 rather than lamely strolling in. Please allow me to introduce the panel. David Matson is a best-selling author, sales and management thought leader, keynote speaker, and leader for sales management and training. As CEO and president of Sandler Training, David oversees the corporate direction and strategy for the company's global operations with focus on sales leadership, strategy, and client satisfaction. He's also written five books, the latest of which is The Road to Excellence and The Success Cadence. Keith Rosen, over, over three decades, Keith has delivered his transformational programs to hundreds of thousands of salespeople and managers in practically every industry on five continents and in over 70 countries. Keith has written several best-selling uh, books, including Own Your Day, the globally acclaimed coaching salespeople into sales champions, which was winner of five international best book awards, and the number one best-selling sales management coaching book on Amazon for the last seven consecutive years. His most recent book, Sales Leadership, The Essential Leadership Framework to Coach Sales Champions, Inspire Excellence and Exceed Your Business Goals, was named 2018 SOP Sales Book of the Year. <clears throat> and finally, and certainly not last, well, last but certainly not least, Colleen Stanley is president, well, we ought to have a look at her, there we are, Colleen Stanley is president of sales leadership, the sales development firm. <clears throat> She's the creator of the EI Selling System, a powerful sales and management training program that integrates emotional intelligence skills with consultative selling skills. Colleen is the author of Emotional Intelligence for Sales Success, now published in six languages and growing great sales teams. Salesforce named Colleen as one of the top eight sales influencers of the 21st century. She's also been named one of the top 50 sales and marketing influencers, top 30 global sales gurus, 
and top 10 women in sales experts to follow. Prior to starting sales leadership, she was vice president of sales for Varsity Spirit Corporation. The company was named by Forbes magazine as one of the 200 fastest growing companies in the United States. So welcome, Colleen. Do you think we should mention your upcoming next book? I think we should. Well, that would be terrific. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so it's out in May 2020. It's called Emotional Intelligence for Sales Managers, and it's going to be published by HarperCollins. You know, I've got a whole panel of best-selling authors. Doesn't anybody do any real work these days? Why? Don't answer. <laughs> this Don't is more answer. fun, Jonathan. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Okay, let's crack on. So there they all are. Um, sadly, Mark Hunter couldn't be with us. Um, he had a malfunction with his clock and hasn't adjusted to the fact that in Europe, we are now back to Greenwich Mean Time. But we'll look forward to welcoming Mark for a future event. So I'll begin with you, David. Let me give you a question to start our debate on. What can sales managers, leaders do that's managers, stroke leaders, do to maximize the resources they have at their disposal? Well, Jonathan, I think, as you said in the opening, it's really the constant reality, right? Do more with less. I think there's five things that they could do. Um, one is I would get a process in place, because if you have less people, less resources, but you're working against a sailing process, then I honestly believe the, the work of and if you needed 10, you could really get away with five or six because you've got people all doing the same types of things, which then turns into number two, which is easy to coach. I think you have to create a cult, you know, a coaching culture um, and, and really coach to that process and stay with it, especially if you have less resources, because you're expecting more from the people that are there. I think the third thing I would do is to create a playbook uh, and make it really easy to say this is what we're saying, how we're saying it in the circumstances that you find yourself in. And, and more and more playbooks that I found over the last six months are, are being created for companies so they have an easy way to do it. And I think that's the really number four is make it easy pe for people to get resources. Um, you know, so many times they have to scramble to five, six, seven different locations to find something, and it's really a complete waste of time. And, and by default, they tend to go and not utilize all the nice things that we've put together, but really kind of do their own thing. I mean, even in the last six months, we've moved over 8,000 assets from a platform into Siri. So now it's just voice. So the easier we can make it to get content, the better off we are. And, and then I think the last thing I would do if I were a leader with less resources is to become a behavioralist. You know, obviously we need to coach, we need a sales process, but I would really create what we call a cookbook. So all of my people know exactly what they should be doing day in and day out. And therefore, we don't have those peaks and valleys of production, and you know we don't we can level out our our the income the sales that are coming in because we're we've got the process and now we're creating what I'm going to call that behavioral plan that cookbook that'll allow us to do all the things that we're supposed to do at little bits and pieces every single day so it doesn't become this mammoth thing that I've got to do at the end of the month and then we say ah forget it 
you know, it's kind of like jogging. If I can, I can jog a mile a day, but if I say, hey, seven miles on Sunday, I'm going to say, ah, forget it. I'll start next week. And I think that's what it does. <laughs> so I would do all those things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think they're all valid points. I mean, Colin, you know, you, you must be working with managers who, who sort of tell you that what they're hearing is, I want you to deliver more, more profit, more sales, more productivity, more customers, more quality. Oh, and by the way, you've got less money, less staff and less time. Does that sound familiar to you, Colleen? Uh, yes, all of those. You, you must be a good <laughs> mind reader. <laughs> so in your view, uh, Colleen, what can sales managers do to maximize their um, resources, which are diminishing by the year, apparently? Well, one of the things in playing off what David said is, you know, take a look at the easy button. You know, frankly, the reason Amazon, among other reasons, became the mammoth they are, is they tapped into the easy button, right? And so sometimes I think it is slowing down to speed up. And right now, I think one of the simplest things they can do is stop the insanity loop, because I see uh, people that continue to do the same behaviors, do the same activities, it's not getting any results. So that might be conducting an informal or formal win-loss analysis. Because if you don't know why you're winning crystal clear is, and you don't know why you're losing, you're just setting yourself up for the same year next year. So sometimes it can be simply, okay, where are we winning? Is it, is it a demographic? Is it a psychographic? Is there a particular pain point? Is it a trigger event, changing trends, competitor gap? And so I came from the manufacturing and distribution background. And when I talk to audiences, I'll say, okay, we just made a thousand garments. They all came back to our warehouse. What is the first thing we did as a company? And of course, the answers are pretty funny. Blame is usually the first one that comes out. Um, we, we look at this department and this department. And my answer after I get all these great answers from the audience is no, we stopped production stopped production. And so I think for many of us, we may need to stop production because David's absolutely right. I think these, um, I'm seeing more and more customized playbooks come out, but it doesn't matter if the playbook is built on the wrong concepts and processes. So I would say conduct that informal or, or formal win-loss analysis and figure out what direction you need to be heading. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's sound advice. Keith, I'm going to ask you the same question, and um, I'm going to count the number of times you mentioned coaching. <laughs> I actually made it a, um, a conscious intention, Jonathan, to only use it three times in this call. Okay. Or else I'm just going to disguise it as another word because <laughs> it's the only thing that's going to move the needle of productivity. Okay, I said it once. Uh, I have about 10 things uh, that, you know, just to echo uh, what, what we're hearing here from Dave and Colleen uh, that could really build and help move that needle of efficiency when, when you're trying to do more with less. I, and, and I'll start with just one thing that is what people may say, a duh, or it's glaringly obvious, but yet, 99% of the population has yes to master it, which is time management. You could have the greatest systems, you can have the greatest product or service, you can even be a great coach and a great salesperson, but if you don't master your day, you have nothing. And that's when we start looking at these statistics and wonder why, well, wait a second, um, today's salespeople are spending the majority of time on activities other than sales. As a matter of fact, I just was uh, reading about how if the average Fields rep is paid about $105,000 a year, 68, excuse me, no, 65% of the time is spent on non-revenue generating activities. 
So basically a company is spending about $68,000 per rep per year to pay them for tests they weren't hired to do. And then we wonder why we're not hitting our goals. And, and, if, and, it, and, and there are so many other things that bleed into it really from the inner game is that every company with a target on their back, which is every company uh, where sales goals need to be achieved, we keep pushing for the result, constantly pushing for the result. But managers, <laughs> they think they're coaching and they're not because if they were, they wouldn't be acting as a chief problem solver. They wouldn't be dealing with all the problems that are coming at them. The managers would actually be working less because it'd be empowering their teams to do more. So, you know, th this is a clear, clear case of what managers can do to actually get back their time and help their people get back their time so they can start focusing on their revenue generating activities and help become a leaner organization just by maximizing the, the talent and the intellectual capital that they already have. Yeah, 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 absolutely right. Keith, I'm going to come back to you in a minute. I'm going to ask you, what are the characteristics of the most efficient, successful sales managers that you know? But before I do that, I'm actually going to slip into Mark Hunter's slot because I feel Mark would have quite a lot to say on this topic. Hey, Mark Hunter here, the sales hunter. Uh, thanks. <laughs> come in, Mark. Okay, seriously, this is me. There. Six steps, I think, that sales managers, leaders can take uh, that's going to help them in. Um, achieve the increased targets that are coming in 2020. Step one, understand your operation. Do you know your operation well enough to improve it? If you don't, how can you improve it? Step two, set the right objectives. Have you got the right objectives to steer improvement? Step three, check customer perception. How can you identify non-value added wasteful activity, which goes to your point, Keith? How can you remove it? Step four, increase capacity. Are you meeting demands? What actions can you take? How efficient are your resources? And, and logically, that's the sales team. Well, we're going to be talking about that later. <clears throat> Step five, continuously improve. Have you got a systematic approach for constant improvement? Do you wake up every morning and think, how can my team and myself improve? And finally, step six, check customer perception. How effective have your efforts been? And how can you tell? Okay, I actually, before we came on air, wrote down a quick acid test, which I'm going to come to right at the end, that all sales managers, leaders um, can just ask themselves four or five questions that I think will get them really, really thinking. So back to you, Keith. What are the characteristics of the most efficient, successful managers you know? Well, number one, the few that are out there really have ownership of their day and their time. They're living from a place of intention rather than reaction. Uh, they're coachable, coachable not only by an external coach or an internal coach, but by their peers, by their boss, even by their direct reports, because that's the only way you can truly develop a shared language amongst an organization, which of course will break down communication barriers and assumptions and increase efficiency, trust and collaboration. Uh, which then, of course, bleeds into, of course, all roads go back to accountability, communication, uh, being selfless, just uh, thinking top of mind of some of the greatest leaders I know, uh, being present, seeking to serve, uh, having a level of insatiable curiosity, being process driven, not so result driven, because you don't coach the result. You coach the process that executes and helps drive the result as a byproduct. So yeah. those are just a handful that's that's popping into uh, to my head. I mean, authenticity, kindness, transparency, trust. Those, of course, are, are non-negotiables as well. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I buy into that. Of course, again, we are addressing sales managers, sales leaders with this panel um, today. And, you know, I think we would all agree because we've all got considerable experience in coaching. Oh, there it is. I've used the word myself. In coaching, <laughs> training, counseling, mentoring, sales leaders. So, you know, we probably know a little bit about what we're talking about. Um, but it's interesting. The role has now today become pivotal. And I've used that word quite a lot recently. Um, <clears throat> and yet it still remains probably one of the weakest areas within an organization because you know another statistic that we've used over and over again during the course of this year's roundtable you know we believe that only six percent of frontline sales managers stroke leaders are efficient enough experienced enough and capable enough of, of holding down that role Colleen let's bring you back in what, what do you believe are the characteristics of the most efficient successful managers that you know and have trained and coached and counseled uh, number one, and obviously I'm, I'm speaking to the choir here, I would say uh, they're learners. And with that learning, there is the attribute of humility and being humble because they generally will still approach life with a beginner's mind. I believe that comes from the, uh, uh, the spiritual practice of Buddha. And so when you approach everything with a beginner's mind, what it does prevent is complacency and then, frankly, the other uh, accompaniment of arrogance. So I, I find that's a common denominator there. I also think in this very 24-7 world, they are extremely good and they have learned the discipline of focus. And so with that focus, they've learned how to manage their technology, not let it manage them. They don't get caught up in FOMO, fear of missing out, or shiny object syndrome. They're really crystal clear on their need to have versus nice to have. So, uh, you know, following what Keith has said, one of their crystal clarities is that, um, if that's even the right word to say, is that they know coaching is a priority and therefore backing up again to what Keith said they calendar block coaching it is not a nice to have it is a need to have and mm -hmm. and they're disciplined to stay the course so I would say learning humility beginners mind focusing and, and knowing where their priorities are and then having that time management to stick to the priorities yeah I, I, I completely agree with you Colleen and I think that coaching <clears throat> this will be music to uh, Keith's. I think coaching is the most important characteristic attribute, the ability to coach that a sales manager, manager can have. Um, okay, David, do you want to come in here? What, what, in your opinion, what are the characteristics of the most efficient, successful sales managers? I mean, I certainly agree with what's being said, accountability, communication. And I would just say communication in addition to what's been said, really from the other perspective. Uh, I think sometimes sales leaders describe and communicate how they see the world or how they see this issue, when in reality we actually have to do it from the person that's sitting across from us. And I think that takes some discipline. Some, some things that haven't been said maybe, uh, congruency. I think sales leaders need to walk the walk and talk the talk oftentimes. And I'll give some simple example. Hey, you, you must be on time for the reports I need. You must be on time for X, Y, and Z, but yet the sales leader is late because quote unquote, I'm busy. So I just think whatever we're going to do, we have to do it as well because they watch what we do, not necessarily what we say. And then I think we have to be a non-victim and, and what I mean by that is there's going to be a lot of stuff that you can't control as a sales leader. It's being decided for you. And 
playing the victim role doesn't really help anyone. You've just got to step up, you know, and you are the organization and take that lead. And the other one is to make our people self-sufficient. Um, oftentimes we do, we do for our people because it's easier to do it than it is to describe how to do it. But in reality, we're hurting them. It's like doing your kids homework. Yeah, they'll probably get a better grade, but are they actually smarter? And so if you create that self-sufficiency, that that is a that's a great thing. And I think as we we do the the last one is that that mindset of me to we, you know, as a as a good sales leader, everything should be a we because now you've gone from most of the time a single producer, the I world, into the we world, and that again goes back to making people self-sufficient in a way. It's a hard transition, and I think the ultimate goal, as I said, is to get them to become self-sufficient. I, I create a grid on the people that you would have, and I, I would really try to find those who are willing and able, because you know you've got a bunch of them, right? You've got willing and unable, you've got able and unwilling, and, and there's you can you can decide the four. But ultimately, we've got to make sure everything that we're doing is moving those people up the grid of willing and able. So those are the things I would have said. Yeah, something that you've just said that I'm going to zone in on because I, I you know, I, I firmly believe it. Any leader should be a role model, and you're absolutely right. I mean, if, if the leader or the manager is coming in late, the team are going to say, well, well yeah, I can come in late. Why should I come in early? But if you, if you when you're leading, this is sort of goes back in my sort of all, all my years ago and several lifetimes ago. Um, I found that setting an example, being a role model, then people quickly fell into line. You didn't. You there was never any need to say, guys, you know, if you get in at eight o'clock, you'll get so much more done because you've got an hour if you need it to prepare for the day before you start the business, and. Once I started arriving at 7.30, 7, sometimes 8 o'clock, everybody else did. And, and, and it, was, it was never, ever discussed. And, and that, I think, is so, so critical. Well, okay. it is, Jonathan. We're using time as an example, but think about even stuff that they do every single day, like pre-call planning. You demand mm. that of your people, but yet, you know, you run into a call with a colleague and you haven't done it yourself. They really pay attention to that stuff, as you said. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely right. Yeah. Mark, sorry, we're not going to bring you in on this one because we're fairly limited for time. Um, David, I'm going to stay with you. OK, and you've been in sales, sales leadership, marketing, CEO roles for many, many, many years. In all that time, have you seen the role of the sales manager stroke leader change? I mean, specifically over the past few years? Um, yes, I think it has changed, but I think we're talking about why it's changing. Look, it has a change. We're still dealing with people. We're still developing people. That has never changed. I think the things that are changing now is we have more of them. We're more in the paper business than we are in the people business. And we're less focused, and I'll say it for Keith, less focused on development and coaching. <laughs> um, but you know, in the old days, you used to role play all the time. I don't really see that because, you know, there's time compression. And I think that's something, you know, I heard Keith say, take control of the day. It's it's true. I think people now, sales leaders, feel overwhelmed. And, and when we're in class, if we give them something to do, they say, hey, Dave, that's awesome. When am I going to do that? And I think they they don't have control of that day. And I think, Jonathan, people measure the time it takes to implement something, but they never take the time where they don't track the time 
for how long it takes to clean up all the messes that they're creating because they didn't do it right the first time. Um, so you've got that. I think this, the other change is technology. You know, we've talked about this in other roundtables. You've got technology in all different aspects of that. And I think you're more of a scientist now if you're doing it right and you're usually utilizing your tools correctly. I do think that you're more of a, a scientist than you ever had the ability to be to really hone in on what the issues are um, of individuals on your team and what to do to take the, that individual to the next step. And that really wasn't there to the level it is today with all the technology. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, and I think my thoughts about all of that are well documented. <laughs> I, don't think we should, <laughs> I don't think we should ever lose sight of the fact that management, the management of people is person to person phenomenon. Would you agree with that, Colleen? Well, writing two books on emotional intelligence, yes, absolutely. And um, but you know, I, I do think we've got to take some of that um, self-awareness and really examine: Are we walking the talk here? Because to the points that have been made uh, by my other esteemed colleagues here, is that we may be saying something and doing another. So I, I feel one of the roles that has changed is that the sales leaders need to get really clear on the value of focus because it's only with focus that you can learn. It's only with focus that you can uh, do the role plays and practice. And I can't tell you how many meetings I observe. Um, and as they're doing their role plays, they've got their adult binky, the smartphone, you know, they, they can't go anywhere without it. They've got some tablet popped up. And so they're trying to do the role play in spite of all this technology coming in. And my point that I've used with a lot of my sales managers, I have yet to observe an athlete, a musician, anyone that really has achieved that high level of mastery, stopping and checking their smartphone. But I see managers doing it while they're coaching people, and I see it sales, with salespeople, you know, even they try to do it during workshops. Now, we don't allow technology in workshops um, because we understand the power of the brain, and you can't really do both there. So yes, I would say the role with technology has changed, but the role that hasn't changed is to be the person that models that. I would say the second thing uh, that I'm seeing here is, and, and to David's point, I do see a little bit of this victim mentality possibly rising up, both in sales managers and salespeople. And so I think one of the things sales managers in their role, they have to be very aware of that and almost start teaching stress management is, is sales management. Because the number one thing that causes stress is people feel out of control. And when people feel out of control, they default to external locus of control, meaning my external environment is dictating my success. And that is a victim mentality. And there is nothing about your external environment that's dictating your success. Because sales is, frankly, a highly controllable business if we as leaders will teach them to control, recognize the victim mentality, and then that will also decrease some of the stress that's then attributing to lack of focus, lack of productivity, and lack of sales results. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> Do you think, Colleen, that um, the sales managers and sales leaders that you interact with, that you coach and train, do they feel that they're getting the support they need from above? You know, you know I don't hear that complaint a lot. What I hear more of, I think they're just overwhelmed with trying to figure out which tool is the best tool. And that, again, we live in this very connected world. So FOMO sets in, and they hear about this tech stack or this tech tool. And you know what? You just got to get clear on who's my audience, 
what what uh, it goes back to some of the basics. You got to get clear on your target, and then what's the message over the medium. So I think some of it is reminding managers of reality testing. So take a look at everything that's happening out there, but for your life cycle, your target, your prospects, your customers, what's the best approach to management? And and again, I keep saying it, but get over the fear of missing out. You probably know what to do. So I think most of mine, maybe it's because of the organizations we work with, they, they're pretty good cultures, and maybe that's why I'm not hearing the support from above. I might be sounding like Pollyanna here, so somebody else might be able to comment better on that. <laughs> well, there was a specific reason I asked the question. It is simply this. If we believe, as we do, that only 6% of sales managers are capable of doing the job, one of the reasons thrown up on a, on a frequent basis is that once they get into that role, then the coaching and the training for them specifically kind of stops. It comes to a grinding yeah. halt. They're expected simply because they're a high-performing salesperson to be able to just slip in effortlessly into a sales leader's role, and we all know that that just doesn't happen. So, yeah, I've that, spoken to. I would agree a hundred percent with that. So, I, when you put it in that perspective, I'm putting 105 percent on that. And I do talk to a lot of my CEOs about this. You have got to invest in their training and coaching because until the universities catch up or something, they're getting nothing. I mean. Think about how important hiring and recruiting is, and no sales manager has gone through a formal course on that generally before they get elevated into sales leadership. So yes, I agree with that perspective 105%. Okay. Well, the relevance of the relevance of my comment was simply because for December's roundtable, we're going we're all going to pretend that's the panel that we're sales managers and we're going to tell CEOs what we need to be successful in 2020, because I think that what we've got to start doing is sending a clear um uncomplicated message to CEOs uh, that really sales management isn't getting the support that it needs from above in so many cases and and you know the role of sales manager is just becoming more difficult and more challenging by the year so I thought it would be an interesting topic you know just to sort of wear another hat Keith if you want to come in here. Yeah, I'd like to come ahead, JF, before you jump in there, I just got to build off what you said. Uh, okay. It's interesting. If you look at the amount of money that's spent or invested in each person, I think we'd all agree it's about $1,000 per head of that. And, mm. and if, if they're even investing in their people, most companies will make the assumption, well, let's, let's invest in the people that are driving sales. So let's invest in our salespeople. Okay, great. What are you doing for your managers? To your point, Jonathan, nothing. Mm. So wait a second, you're investing all this money in sales training. You're not investing the money in teaching and coaching your managers how to become world-class coaches, but without coaching, any training initiative is going to fall through the cracks and you'll never get an ROI. And then managers, of course, will go to their CEOs and say, hey, or, or their managers and say, I'm not getting what I want. But the reality is they're not, they don't know how to coach either because if everyone knew how to coach, they wouldn't be in this position. They would have less attrition, they would have people that are being more autonomous, the managers would have less problems coming at them, they'd be a happy culture, they wouldn't have to worry about managing stress because if they're, everyone's coaching each other every day, that's how you create a true people culture. That's how you, you, you put the, you know, the, the important over the urgent. Uh, but that ha that's hard to do in times of challenging times, and, and that's when people really struggle with really maintaining the course of the vision and the values, which bleeds into the other area, which I'd like to touch on. But I'm going to stop talking now, Jonathan. I know you had another question you may want to ask, ask me there. 
Yeah, well, no, I just wondered if you wanted to follow on and share with us what, what are the characteristics of the most successful sales managers you've met? And, and, and do you feel that the role has changed over the past few years? Well, especially building off what Colleen and David said, I mean, technology, we can't help but look at this as something that's a, you know, a blessing and a curse. Uh, of course, it's made our life so much easier and more efficient. At the same time, uh, companies, and I see this everywhere, and I'd love to hear uh, the rest of the panel's opinion on this, is that they're, they're too reliable now on technology. So what's happening is um, managers uh, are leveraging the technology, telling their people to do more, but what they wind up doing is telling their people to do more either of the wrong activity or they're telling the people to do more of an activity that they're not doing effectively or in terms of modeling that best practice. So think of a salesperson who's working eight to 10 hours a day. They could be following up with prospects, but if they're following up with the wrong prospects because there were holes in their, in their and I hate using the word soft skills because skill is a skill, like qualifying, discovery, taking the information a prospect is sharing and really knowing what to do with it. If they're not truly isolating and seeking out the, the, the prospects that really need to be focused on, especially when we're looking to do more with less, now they're spending eight to 10 hours a day focusing on the wrong prospects. And the real exponential cost is that's eight to 10 hours a day. Their competition is focusing on the right ones. Mm, mm, absolutely. I mean, you know, you, you've made a big point about technology taking on too greater importance. And in fact, I think for the last or certainly two roundtables ago, David was on the panel again. We debated this and we all agreed that, yeah, I, you know, there is too big a spend on technology and the bad news is um, it's, going to, it's going to increase next year. And uh, whether or not you've seen this statistic from Sander Research Centre, if I can just wear my hat from there for a second. In 2020, it's forecast that around about $5 billion will be spent on sales team development. Okay. 50 billion on sales technology. And I find that frightening. So 10% on developing the team uh, compared with 50 billion on sales technology, which, which is just quite incredible. It really, really is. So <clears throat> once you've picked yourself up from the floor, having heard those staggering statistics, um, David, if I can come back to you, we've talked um, not just on this roundtable, but we've talked on previous roundtables about the need for control. And within that statement, I think what we're talking about specifically is having a strategy for success. And how important is that in, in your book that sales managers have a specific strategy which is shared with the team so each team member knows what is expected of them in the forthcoming 12 months, understands the part that they will play and can play and how important their part is. Um, what do you think? Well, I think clarity always helps, right? Of course, I think most, first of all, we, I guess we should ask, do most sales managers or sales leaders have strategy? I don't know, I think to, to Keith's point, I think they become over-reliant on the, on the technology, but if you, if you just kind of do concentric circles for a second, 
you know, if you think about, okay, what are our goals in the middle? We're then we're going to create a strategy on, on how we're going to attain and exceed those. But then I think there's two others that are out there, which is process. What process are we going to be following um, as far as it could be customer care, it could be customer success, it could be prospecting, it could be sales, whatever the process is. And then what's the methodology? And I think people get mixed up on, you know, we follow a sales process versus methodology. And I think those all tie in together, but you're going to need a strategy, number one. Number two, you're going to have to communicate it and be flexible because there are changes throughout, you know, so there's never a line in the sand, Jonathan. But I mm. think certainly everything comes from the goal, which is always communicated from top down. But I think we then have to communicate what we're doing within our group. And then here's how I plan on doing it. Hopefully that was co-created by the people that are that are on your team. And that doesn't mean 100% of it, but certainly part bits and pieces. And then what's the methodology and process we're going to use to get that? And I think those are the things that they should be always um, creating and communicating. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I like your point about involving everybody in the decision-making process. I mean, I think people resent just being handed a, you know, a, a document that says, okay, guys, you know, this is our 2020 strategy, get on with it. I, I, you know, for me, that sort of style and approach just simply doesn't work. Colleen, how important do you think it is that sales managers have a formal strategy in order to be successful? Uh, well, I would say the answer is yes, and then I would follow it up by the question, what exactly is strategy? And do they have a strategy on their own or are they part of the big company strategic planning process there? Because I do think it's very easy, myself included, love the tactical coaching, but again, if we're coaching to what, what are we trying to achieve? And so I do think, you know, town hall meetings in companies can be very effective because if people don't know why we're doing something, because we all get caught up in the current, but what we failed to share with the team is, here's why we're doing this. Five years down the road, six months down the road, um, we've got a competition, we're analyzing the trends, we've got the business intelligence. And so I think often the managers actually sometimes aren't included in the big strategy of the meeting. If you, if you look at the words chief, how many sales managers have chief revenue officer? But we have chief financial officer, we have uh, uh, controllers. Somehow the word chief gets left out of a lot of uh, sales managers, and I don't know if they're getting in on the big picture conversations. So that's almost a CEO conversation. Are you including the sales leaders in all the conversations that need to be happening at the company? Yeah, 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 uh, exactly. I mean, typically um, <clears throat> the plan has to come down from sea level to the sales manager who and who is hopefully involved in you know, the, the next strategy for the next 12 months or 36 months. I, right. think it's always, I think it's always dangerous to go out to 60 months these days. But then the sales manager well, has to sell that to the sales team. Okay, doesn't he or she? Well, that's a very interesting topic right there, Jonathan, if I could jump in right here. We, we, we talk about how important it is to be uh, a strategic thinker. Uh, what we don't talk about is how important it is to be a strategic communicator because we can be rolling out $50 billion worth of technology and $5 billion worth on money to invest in our people. But if, but if that was really a balance that's truly effective, then can someone please help me understand why there's only a 40% adoption among CRM 
within organizations. Hmm, let me think about this. So I'm spending all this money and I'm not creating the alignment and buy-in that I need to leverage this new technology that I'm spending all this money on. Oh, so what am I gonna do now? Now I gotta do triage and I have to get all my managers riled up and say, you have to get everyone on board to use this CRM. So oh, competing priorities. I thought we were supposed to about selling not figuring out how to leverage a bloody new technology. Sorry for the rant. And then, of course, managers and leaders turn around and say, well, why aren't we hitting our sales goals? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I hope everyone here is listening. This is one word for this. It's called stupid. Yep. Well, interesting. <laughs> it, it, I, yeah, I, I agree, Keith. What's also interesting, another, another piece of the research that we did, we wanted to understand how many organizations that we surveyed had got a sales process in place. And the, the results came back at about 54%. But <laughs> the bad news was only around 30% had fully implemented it. So that means a whole 70% of respondents were not using the sales process that had been designed for them. And I'll depress you even further, Keith, of that 50 billion uh, that's being spent on, or forecast to be spent on sales technology, technology next year, 15 billion of it is going to Salesforce. So you don't want to, you don't want to depress me. You just want to get me riled up, Jonathan. I know. <laughs> well, I like you when you're riled up. <laughs> I, I have to turn the volume down a bit, but it's still I'm, fun. I'm really trying to behave on this one. All right, come on, answer the question now. How important do you think strategy is? In, is, is, is? It's, it's absolutely critical and, and strategy and process and all the great ideas we've heard in this fantastic roundtable. Uh, it means nothing with one thing that's missing, fanatical accountability. We need to be fanatically accountable. We need to be obsessively accountable. We need to be insatiably accountable. Well, how do you create that? You get up processes and systems all day long, but I just spent three days working with an organization last week on redesigning their entire culture. Because no one, everyone thinks, oh, culture and vision, oh, values, oh, that's too airy, fluffy stuff. How is that going to help me drive sales? I'll tell you what, it's going to help you drive sales because no company, unless quite, and I'm not saying this to be presumptuous, unless they spoke to me, has any idea how to leverage their vision and core values in an organization as a way to truly drive personal accountability, efficiency, and create truly an authentic, vulnerable, collaborative culture. So let me try to laser this quickly. So most of the time you get this vision statement, right? Really pretty designed vision statements, either de designed by marketing or by senior leadership. And then of course they roll this out. And yeah, come on leaders, go around the room, ask any of your direct reports, just ask 20 people, hey, what's the person, what's the company vision? I'm gonna tell you most aren't going to know because they don't own it and it's not lived every day. And then if you ask most people within the organization, what are the core company values? They're gonna look at you and say, hmm, maybe I know a few, but I don't know all. So what is this saying? It's saying that you have all these wonderful processes, you have all these wonderful strategies, great technology. Hey, let's say even the managers know how to coach, go crazy on this one, but where's the, where's the guiding light? Where's the North Star? So here's a crazy thought, throw out your current vision, throw out your current values, if they were not developed 
by the entire organization and every employee within that organization. Because once you do that, then you could pull out your core values. Once you pull out your core values and you have everyone in that room raise their hand and say, I am fully committed to living this vision and living these core values. Oh, by the way, and I'm fully committed to being coached and held accountable by every single person in this room, whether it's a peer, whether it's a direct report, whether it's a boss, whoever it is, to live these values, and I get to call, we all get to call each other out if we're not. So now you wanna develop truly a culture of authenticity, accountability, transparency, all that stuff that everyone talks about, there's the billion dollar secret right there. And that from there will drive all the processes and systems exponentially more successful. Absolutely, I'm on board, I'm on board. I'm on board your good ship, Keith. Okay, I'm going to stand in for Mark again um, very quickly, um, and then I'm going to come over to you, David. What we would like to do is to leave the listeners with, specifically the sales managers and sales leaders that are listening in, with three tips. So three tips they can take away. So that's three tips from each of you. And whilst you're thinking about that, what I would say to sales leaders, if you're thinking about 2020, you know, just look over your shoulder and think about 219 and ask yourself the following questions. When you think about your sales team, did you understand their motivators? Did you understand what was driving them? That's not the team as a whole, that's each individual, okay? Because the primary task of a sales manager is to extract the very, very best performance, optimum performance from each member of the team. Secondly, did you always have visibility of their numbers? year-to-date forecast versus required performance? Were you on top of the numbers? Activity levels is my third point. Did they work hard and smart enough? Okay, I think you'll understand what that means. And in terms of engagement, did they always meet the right level in their prospects or in their accounts? Next one is managing. Um, Were they capable of delivering an appropriate message? Sorry, messaging. Were they capable of delivering an appropriate message at the right level? In other words, were they commercially multilingual? Were they able to speak up uh, at whatever level they needed to, rather than using um, just the same language? Qualification. Did they only spend time on deals where they could compete and ultimately win? Or did they spend far too much time trying to force an opportunity through the pipeline that had no hope of closing? And finally, closing. Did they construct successful campaigns and close enough business? And that will give you your final year-end number. When you understand all of that, and you can take that with you into 2020, you have a much stronger um, chance of success, in my view. Okay, the uh, witching hour is closing in on us. So, David, if I can come over to you. Do you have three tips that uh, our listeners can take away? Sure. I think number one is uh, the mindset and really don't become a victim. I I wouldn't expect help. (laughs) You're responsible. Your group, you work for yourself. You're the CEO of your group and understand that change happens all the time. So that would be the first one is the head stuff. I think the second for me would be is to create that, that sales process and to make sure that your coaching and training and all your tools are supporting the process. Um, I also, with under that, I would say make sure that you're role-playing daily, not occasionally, daily, to help people better understand how to move from stage one to stage two to stage three. And then uh, the last one 
is get rid of the noise. I mean, as Keith said earlier in the uh, broadcast, you know, get control of your day. There's so many things that are pulling on your time, but don't be reactive. Be proactive. Get rid of all the stuff that is, you know, sucking you down these rabbit holes and just focus on what is important. And those would be the three ones that, that we probably haven't said or we've, we've uh, maybe I just bring to the surface. Yeah, good. Uh, valuable, very valuable. Colleen, your three? My three, number one, um, make a decision. I think right now is a good time to evaluate everything. You know, as you're kind of wrapping up the year, getting ready for the next year, do you actually want to be in sales leadership? Uh, many people took the position, but, you know, when you take a look at it, uh, maybe they're a great prospector, but now prospecting changes. You're prospecting for talent. Are you as excited about prospecting and recruiting for top talent as you were for prospects? I think you have to have this very healthy dose of reality testing do you want to be in sales leadership and the demands and, and different skills you'll need to learn? Uh, second, I'm, I'm going to repeat this one. Get a sales playbook, and here's what I would add on to it. That involves the entire company, because often what I see in a sales playbook that is missing is the department that really handles the sale after the sale. You know, the tech team, the support team, customer service. They, they actually need to be included in your sales playbook because uh, some of the research out there shows that 67% of customers leave, not because of price or quality, but because of employee indifference. And that's because we're not including these departments in our sales department. So it's the old saying, everyone's in sales. And the third, I would have to, um, I'll set Keith up nicely here, invest in your coaching skills. So without the strategy, without a playbook, if you do not know how to coach, none of this is going to get executed. And so often when I ask my managers after we do teach them coaching skills, training skills, I said, who are you going to role play with? And they look at me with a blank stare. You have got to work as hard at developing your coaching skills as you did your selling skills. So that's my top three. Very good. And uh, yeah, I'm, uh, you're absolutely right. I think that sales managers in particular must not ever sit around and wait for investment in them to happen. They've got to invest in themselves. They've got to work to the mantra. If it's to be, it's up to yeah. me. <coughs> Good, yeah. Excuse me. Keith. Yeah, so people waiting around for their company to invest in them. You might be waiting around your whole career, by the way. And mm. in, in terms of Colleen, your last point, do you want to be in sales leadership? I'm, we just need to put a pin in that one. And Jonathan, make a note. That's a whole other uh, roundtable right there. Yep. Uh, and I hope people are really taking notes and going to replay this roundtable because there are so many valuable points here that unfortunately we don't even have the time to unpack. So here are my three. Uh, fortunately, I'm really bad at math, so I'm probably going to give you about six. Uh, number one, uh, when I share culture, managers, don't wait for your company to change the culture. Create a subculture. Create a culture within your team. Besides, your people interact with you every day. You are the culture. You can develop that amongst your team. I've seen so many success stories when managers do this. That becomes the North Star everyone holds each other accountable for. I've seen managers go from teams fifth in the region to number one. So what else can you do? Yeah, you become a critical thinker. Yes, become a critical communicator. But here's the big miss. Before you can do both of those, you need to become a critical questioner because the conversation you're having in your head is only as good as the question you ask. Same with your organization, same with your team. Become a critical questioner because that's going to stimulate the thinking that's going to drive performance and improve your inner game. 
Uh, David mentioned about um, role playing. Absolutely, you could never do enough role playing. Don't lose sight of real playing. Managers, peers, salespeople, real play with your peers. That is not a role play, that's real coaching. That's going to your peers or your boss or your manager going to one of your employees and saying, hey, I got this issue, I have this goal, can you help me with this? Not a role play, coach me. Reinforce that habit of coaching and that cadence of coaching. So those those are my few and I think of course on top of that, not to, uh, not to be redundant, but managers, you need to master time management before it's, uh, you can start coaching it. And it's very difficult to recognize the gaps in others when we don't recognize the gaps in ourselves. And we need to spend not only 70% of our waking hours coaching, which is from the greatest CEOs that I've uh, known who say that, but managers, the big miss, coach time management. Look at people's calendar. What do you see in their diary? Is it a whole bunch of white space with a few meetings sprinkled around? Or do they truly have every every revenue generating activity laid out and time blocked throughout their day? Because that's what's going to hold them accountable. And that's what you now have something that you can coach to. So those are my three, Jonathan. That was more than three. <laughs> <laughs> Should we give sales managers another tip? Learn how to use a calculator. <laughs> I told you in advance I set it up. I was never good in math. Well, I know. I was sitting here. I was counting them. I thought, hang on a minute. Anyway, thank you for those. Ideal. Absolutely perfect. Okay. Well, everybody, unfortunately, we've reached the end of, our, um, of, of this month's roundtable, which has been most, most enjoyable. And I hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. To my esteemed uh, guests, David Matson. Colleen Stanley and Keith Rosen. Thank you very much. Um, all of you have been on previous uh, panels this year, and I certainly hope in 2020 that you'll be coming back and again, once again, sharing your wisdom. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure to host you. Um, so everybody, look, if you haven't discovered the sales futurists yet, I hope you will get across there. You will find David, you will find Colleen, and you will find Keith. What I've done is surrounded myself with 23 people who I greatly respect and who I know share a passion for the future of selling to match my own. And it really is different. If you're looking for advice on closing or cold calling or prospect attraction, etc., you won't find it over there. What you will find is advice and um, pearls of wisdom. Uh, I use that word again um, from the world's leading sales experts and thought leaders. Um, and it's specific to senior salespeople, sales leaders, and of course, Sea Lounge residents. So if you haven't discovered Sales Futurists yet, uh, do so without delay, please. Okay, that's it. Again, thank you so much for joining us. I hope you've enjoyed what we've delivered so far in 219. We have got one more, and I gave you a clue about halfway through this uh, recording. Um, and we will be announcing that very shortly. And then probably around about the middle of January, certainly by the second week, we will announce um, what the agenda is for 2020. Again, we're going to be hitting the hot topics and the ones that matter most uh, in order to help you improve performance and be the best you possibly can be. So this is Jonathan Farrington. Again, thank you. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.